0: Recording... um <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> Hey, how's it going?
1: Hi, very good. How about you?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm okay. It's um, <clears throat> it's about uh, five thirty in the morning here, so oh, if I look a little good. rough. That's that's the good reason morning,
1: Dan. I...
0: <laughs> <clears throat> Steffi, thanks very much for joining me. Um, I want to sort of talk a bit about because what I'm trying to get is young people's perspectives today on vaccines uh, because it's such a topical issue and also your experience with the pandemic, what measures have been taken in the country where you live um, Mm -hmm. and how that's affected your life. And um, yeah, maybe a bit about your your background and and, uh, whether or not you were vaccinated as a child, whether or not you've known people who don't like vaccines, that kind of thing, okay? Okay. Okay, Um, so what I normally do as a little warm up, um, I'll ask you to, tell me three things about yourself that you think the audience would find interesting okay and and then so... after that we'll we'll sort of <clears throat> properly get into uh, into the um an interview i do know that you like anime because i've i've yes. had a look at a couple of your reactions um i'm, I'm a big anime fan as well I've, i'm glad to hear <laughs> i've got about 3 terabytes of anime on my on my media pc
1: Oh, yeah, that's a lot. I have to delete mine all the time. Because, oh, all right. Yeah, yeah I, the videos I, take a lot of place. Space. I got to
0: the stage where I, I just needed to build a whole new PC to store it all. And, and that's what I
1: did. <laughs> well, uh, I only have one terabyte available on my PC, so oh, I have to make mm-hmm. arrangements. Yeah.
0: But, yeah, I, I've noticed you, you watch a few anime that, that I like, Shingeki no Kyojin and... Um, mm. and uh, you've got just got into uh, uh, Jujutsu Kaisen as as all I see
1: yeah Jujutsu Kaisen is awesome like my favorite this year so far
0: <laughs> I I will say um because I followed your your Shingeki no Kyojin one and I your reaction to season three episodes 16 to 20 <laughs> I'm uh-huh. <just> dynamite <laughs>
1: Man. wait that's that's the one where irvin dies right yeah
0: yeah and then yeah and then that that's the-, the
1: most pop- popular one on my channel
0: yeah that nearly th- those episodes just wrecked me they were so so powerful
1: um, yeah i still have like dreams about that episode <laughs> <laughs> um, i still miss irvin <laughs> yeah so um um
0: so how do i introduce you then just introduce you as as your as your youtube name steffi
1: yeah my youtube name is Steffi. i think that's easier to pronounce my real name is milica
0: okay Militsa.
1: yes um, milica, but i use Steffi because my last name is like stefanovic so it's kind of like more similar to my last name
0: oh okay okay mm-hmm. okay well not, nice to meet you Militsa. um that uh that sounds like uh, East European. East yes, European
1: uh, old, uh, old Serbian name. Oh, a very old. Okay, you're Serbian. Serbian name. Okay, yeah. that, that, yes, ooh. I'm. I'm Serbian. Yeah, I was born in Austria. Oh, and then yeah, and then my parents moved back to Serbia when I was five years old.
0: Right. Um, well, my uh, my father was was German. Uh, he was born in Kiel, West Germany, and mm-hmm. and his mother was actually uh, Polish.
1: Um, okay yeah so also a bit of slavic blood yeah that's
0: right so a central (laughs) european leaning towards eastern european yeah that's very cool all right so what i'll do is i'll do it just a brief little intro saying you know welcome the vaccination station for for the audience and then i'll introduce you and we can get into it okay okay great Welcome to The Vaccination Station. My name is Dave and today I'm speaking with Steffi. Welcome to the show. Hello.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Steffi, can you tell us three things about yourself that you think the audience would find interesting just to get to know you a bit?
1: Uh, Well, my heritage is Serbian. That's Eastern Europe, uh, but I was born in Austria. I've moved here and there all the time like I don't have one place where I live because my family is half here half there uh I uh, studied chemistry for briefly a few years and but I couldn't find a job in that so I made a animal reaction channel <laughs> and now I'm living off that
0: that's yeah. that's really cool I you um you are my not my first YouTuber that I've interviewed. I've I've interviewed another YouTuber before, uh, but you are certainly my first YouTube reactor that I've interviewed. <laughs> so this is very cool.
1: <clears throat> yeah, it is.
0: <laughs> Steffi, I want to ask you about uh, vaccines and some some general stuff to do with the pandemic. Firstly, are you vaccinated? Were you vaccinated as a child?
1: As a child, yes. It was, I think the word is modern, theory. Like you have to vaccinate your child's children. Like we wouldn't even be asked. We would just one day go to school and then like take the whole class. We're getting vaccines today and nobody asked us if we want or not. But right now, no, I'm not vaccinated yet.
0: Oh, okay. You mean you're not vaccinated for COVID-19 yet?
1: No, 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 not yet.
0: Yeah, same in my country. I'm not old enough yet. I'm not in that the risk category. So vaccines were mandatory at school and, and you received vaccines at school. Tell me about that.
1: Uh, Well, the first, I, like, I don't know. I don't even know what kind of vaccines I got, to be honest. Like, I don't even think that's written anywhere. Like, even my mom didn't know. She was telling a few days ago, like, oh, I didn't vaccinate my children when I was, like, when there were kids and me and my brother look at her. Nobody asked us. They did vaccine us like in school. They didn't even ask you. Like they just took us like three times in like I went to school for eight years, like the first school, and we were vaccinated like three times during those eight years. But no, nobody asked us if we want to. They didn't even ask the parents. It was just known that children had to be vaccinated. And it was if you want to go to school, you did you had to have the vaccine.
0: What do you know about how vaccines work?
1: Uh, well, depending on their like different kind of vaccines, like there's a the one that work on protein based. There's some that work like to. Sorry, my English is like not that good for that. Um, where they put uh, like the dead dead vaccine inside a body, and then it creates antibodies. And yeah, generally, like I'm pro-vaxxer. Like I said, I studied a bit of chemistry and we had that also covered like a tiny bit. I was, not for, I was not that kind of chemist, but still. So yeah, that's how I understand vaccines. They put the virus, like a form of virus into you and then you just create antibodies. It's not much different than when you get the virus a natural way and then you just make e- immunity to it.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, That is a really terrific answer. And the average person on the street, I don't think would have been able to go into so much detail as you did there. I can definitely see your chemistry education coming through. Um, and Thank yes, you. you're, you're definitely right about the protein. So the great thing about the new mRNA vaccines is that they don't require any part of the virus to be put into your body, whether whether uh, a live virus or an inactivated virus. Um, the vaccine basically gives the body a blueprint that teaches it how to create the protein. And then the body yeah. creates the protein and says, okay, well, now I know to look out for these things. And then that's it. It's all done. Yeah,
1: and, and, and that's also why it has to be done twice because it might not recognize it's the first time. There are like, they were like, that's a danger, but we'll see. And then the second time, oh, there it is again. Let's now create the the antibodies against it. That's why, especially like the COVID vaccine, that's why it, it's like in two doses. As far as I know.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's absolutely correct. Wow, this is this is really cool. Um, <laughs> so you you're pro-vax, you support vaccines. You were vaccinated as a child. Um, what? It, uh, is there much of an anti-vaccine movement in your country? Sorry, you're living in, in Serbia.
1: Yeah, right now I'm. In, I mean, right now I'm in Austria visiting my family, but I'm going back in two days to Serbia. But yes, there are a lot of anti-vaccines in Serbia, but that's mostly because back in the days there was like a lot of wars on Balkan, and what they did not get like back in the nineties. I think the vaccines they did get were not that good. And it's mostly the older generation that are against it, which I kind of understand because they had, really had bad experience with it. They were not like the, the, the best vaccines that our countries got because of poverty, because of being poor as a country. They couldn't afford like the best ones. So there are a lot of children died because of vaccines. A lot of disease happened, which is understandable. But people don't understand new days that it's better medicine changed that the technology changed we're not that poor anymore the government can afford the better ones but it's understandable where the thinking is coming from
0: yeah when you've had a an experience like that when you've got an entire generation that's been through that experience very difficult to sh- to shake that mentality mm-hmm. even though time has moved on and science has advanced and the country has changed and things are very different now it's very hard sometimes for a a generation to forget the struggles that they went through and realize that they shouldn't be superimposing those on on the present time, because it's just not like that anymore. But I can understand uh, some of the issues there. Definitely, uh, Serbia certainly would have um, suffered a great deal as a uh, Soviet satellite state, um, as most of Eastern Europe did, and even parts of Central Europe like Poland, for example, so, yeah, yeah I, um, I can completely understand where that's coming from. What's the general attitude, though, towards vaccines today in Serbia, do you think?
1: Well, I was actually very positively surprised that a lot of people signed up for vaccines. Like, it's amazing. We were like one of the most in Europe that actually even got vaccines, vaccinated now. So I was really surprised. But I think it's mostly the older generations now did it because they're Mostly, I know from my grandpa, he was, first person, he was one of the first people who signed up because he was scared for his own health. And a lot of the younger ones, I think mostly of the middle generations are still like a bit mm, like torn. So, yeah, I'm actually positively surprised how well the vaccines are being taken in Serbia right now.
0: That's that's really great to know. What, what's the population of Serbia then?
1: I think, I think it's about between six or seven million somewhere in between there.
0: Oh, okay, well that, that's a really small um, that's a really small population there. So uh, covering the, the population with the vaccine, it should not be difficult to reach herd immunity quite quickly then. that's, that's a real advantage. Uh, in Australia, our population here is about 25 million.
1: Okay And,
0: <laughs> and our country is three times the size of Western Europe. So we have a couple of issues here. Firstly, we've got quite a few more people to vaccinate. And then secondly, there's gigantic distances involved in sending vaccines across the country. So, uh, for example, um, I was born and raised in Perth, which is the capital of Western Australia. And Perth is the most... Is, is the most isolated capital city in the world. The next closest uh, capital city to Perth is Adelaide, where I live now. And Adelaide is about 2,600 kilometers away. Okay. So, so the distances involved here in, in Australia do um, present some challenges to vaccine distribution, especially since we've got in an, an, indigenous, an indigenous population as well. And many people um, in the indigenous population still live in the outback, very far away, where it's okay. difficult to get resources and, and, um, and various essential supplies. So getting the vaccines to where they need it can be a bit of a challenge. But, you know, we're, we're getting there. A vaccine rollout hasn't been great, but it's, it's getting much better. So what the government here has done is prioritised the at-risk categories. So indigenous population is at the top of the list, along with older people, and and frontline workers. And then gradually, they start to vaccinate more groups on on the basis of priority and, and need. And I imagine that the same sort of thing is being done in Serbia as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, first, first it was like the, the workers, like medical workers and military. First they got the vaccines and then older groups over 65 years old, I think. And then the one under even, I mean, already some of my friends already got their vaccines. Like it's been, uh, our president got a lot of them. Like at once he got one of the bigger doses in Europe, even though we are not that big Yeah, that's a bit like more politically why he did it, because a lot of other people are now coming to Serbia to vaccinate themselves, which is also like a bit of a gray area to talk about. Um, Because a lot of people, uh, everybody else who comes to Serbia to get the vaccine, they have to pay for it. We are getting it for free. So we also think the president did it to get a bit the money into the budget, too.
0: Yeah, the, the vaccine is free here in Australia too because like you, we have universal healthcare. Um, oh, we don't, <laughs> but still I the vaccines are still... I, I thought no, so you did.
1: No, no, we have to pay for everything, no. Um, the vaccines now not, thank God, at least something, but healthcare is not free in Serbia. It is like a very, very like small level, like really just like maybe a checkout at the doctor and stuff like that, but for major stuff, you still or even a little bit bigger stuff you have to pay
0: okay well that's surprising I, I thought uh serbia and croatia both had universal healthcare. so you you have a different system
1: no no we have a completely different system from croatia croatia okay. is much, much better off than us <laughs>
0: okay I'll, I'll have to go and look that up then that sounds very interesting so when the pandemic hit what did the government do what was the government's immediate response when things began to be serious and it became very clear to world governments that this wasn't going to go away. It wasn't like a two, three week, maybe four month thing. It was going to be a a serious, dangerous worldwide pandemic.
1: It was terrible. In Serbia, it was terrible. Like first, okay, everybody got, uh, like the rest of the world, everybody got scared. And then of course we went into immediate lockdown, but not completely first it was, After eight o'clock, you're not allowed outside. Then after a week, oh, the numbers are too high. Let's get till five o'clock. After five o'clock until five in the morning, nobody allowed outside. Then they put it on to three o'clock, then 12 o'clock. And then it was like, weekends completely not allowed to go anywhere. We were all like following that. Like it was, at first everything was okay. The president was like, we have enough respirators. Like we are well prepared. But the problem is the pandemic hit while it was election time. Like that year to 2020 was election time. Yeah, you can think what it was. The numbers, like a few weeks before the election. Oh, we are so good. Like the numbers are so low. We're opening everything, concerts. Uh, It was like a bit before summer. He wanted to get the votes. And he was like, we have enough respirators. We are well prepared. The first wave, he does hard, but the second, we are prepared. You can go vote. You can go this and then. Uh, Immediately after elections, the numbers are too high. We have to close everything. He was voted again, of course. Nobody wanted him before that because he was not a good president. But yeah, so that, I think the pandemic and the lockdown helped him a lot. He bought, like, votes. It's insane. Just because he gave us, like, a few weeks. Like, everything is okay. We're prepared. You can go vote. No problem. You can go in masses even. Like, you know what mask? You We don't need masks. Like, who needs that? So, yeah. That's how, at least the first part. And then after that, there was, like, big demonstrations. Because of that in Serbia, they were, like, setting cars on fire in front of the parliament and everything yeah it was mostly students because everybody was furious. i even was it was in the main city belgrade i even was traveling there and i was the air i don't know how you call it like tear gas you could feel tear gas everywhere in the air they were like people were furious nobody was furious about the lockdowns but how they manipulated about us like one day you say everything's fine and right after election You close us up again. Like, what's the deal? So the summer was a bit of a dramatic in Serbia, summer 2020.
0: Well, it it sounds like your experience has been a lot more exciting than mine. Um, (laughs) Australia locked down early and hard. And then we've maintained lockdowns on an as-needed basis. So because Australia is divided into different states and each state has its own government, the state governments have been able to introduce their own regulations and they've also closed their borders to each other at various times so that we can reduce the chance of, of spread. And that's been very useful because it means you can't just sort of wander into a another state without being checked at the border. And then... Austria 30, did it the same. Start a fresh sure. outbreak, yeah. So we've... Um, We've handled it pretty well we've had about I think 912 deaths overall in a population of 25 million so we're doing pretty well we've got the virus under control and anytime there's a small outbreak uh, it's traced very quickly because we've got a good tracing network and the um, the government state government no- normally imposes a quick lockdown to make sure that we can catch it and and stop it spreading any further Uh, the government also banned international travel except for essential purposes and it's very difficult to get an exemption for that unless you know your job requires it or you maybe you're obviously a politician or, or some high level business person that kind of thing so international travel has been in lockdown as well ever since I think maybe March or or April last year. So it's been really, really hard. Um, And that's been very tough. There's been quite a few complaints, obviously, about, you know, the lockdown measures. um, Mm. And uh, we haven't actually got to the stage of burning cars, though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, And in some places, occasionally, some, um, some states have mandated mask wearing on an as needed basis but for the most part it's it's been really good you know everyone is sort of doing um social distancing contact tracing and just generally getting on with with life as as best we can while trying to obey the rules so it's been pretty good and we're we're doing very well and we can fix up our vaccine rollout so that actually starts to work a bit more efficiently, then we'll be looking very good by the end of the year. So that, that's been our experience. And um, yours sounds a lot more um a lot more political and <laughs> uh, and a lot more exciting as, as a result of that. We've had a lot more cooperation at the political level here in, in Australia. So that's that's been very helpful. So how has the how has the, um, the pandemic impacted you personally then? Because if you travel between Serbia and Austria for family reasons, uh, what restrictions have been introduced that might make that more difficult for you?
1: Well, I didn't see my family for a whole year almost because of that. Yeah, like I saw them uh, December, 2019. And then almost a year, a bit less, but yeah. And I'm used to like traveling here and there to them, especially I also had like a long, which is like the worst thing that affected me is on the end of 2019, I got into a long distance relationship right before everything started. So that, that was, we even broke up because of that. We managed uh, a year and a half, but it was unbearable. He lived in Sweden and Sweden had, uh, like Sweden had almost zero restrictions inside of the country. They only had like the borders closed. But the uh, best thing was it was open for European Union, but not for Serbia, because we are not part of the European Union, even though we are part of Europe. So I couldn't travel to see him at all. So yeah, it affected my love life, it affected my family love, love life, and it affected my friend's life too, because all of my friends are also mostly in Serbia, in Austria, sorry. So I spend a lot of the time alone with like a handful of people only.
0: So what differences have you seen between the way the pandemic's been handled in Serbia and the way it's been handled in Austria?
1: <laughs> Difficult question. Um, it's Serbia, right? Like right now, when I, when I look, when I look back, it was a, bit more on the lower side it wasn't like that strict it wasn't the beginning and a bit like i said after the election but like in after like in autumn and fall it started like everything opened but like only for like a specific time until eight or until 10 o'clock it's it was variating while in austria everything's been closed since oh october or september last year like it was closed and a bit open for summer, then they closed everything again. And it's like after eight o'clock, you're not allowed outside. You need like a super reason why are outside. Uh, you have to wear masks everywhere, even like not any kind of mask, only specific masks are allowed. You're not allowed to like meet really with friends that much. Uh, policemen could stop you and ask you like if you live together or not. Like, if you live together, then it's okay. But if you're not living together with that person that you're out, they could, like, write you a few, um, how do you call it, like, a payment that you have to pay, like. While in Serbia, it was, like, open closing, open closing afterwards. So we didn't feel it afterwards that much. I think the car burning helped there. <laughs> But yeah, especially because but it was easier for me because it well, I was in Serbia, was on the I'm on the countryside. I'm in a village. So I had it's not the same being on the country during a pandemic and in a city. I have my garden, I have my my animals, I have a big house where I can move, go outside. And it's not that strict. They're not a lot of police. I can go over to a neighbor for a cup of coffee. Like we're not we're only seeing each other. It's not we're not putting anybody at risk because it's a small community. Like everybody knows everybody know what is going anywhere. And I think for the people in the city in Serbia was much, much harder, especially closed in four four walls. It it can be quite depressing.
0: Yeah, the population density in, in some of these European cities is much higher than it is in somewhere like Australia, where we've got a bit more room to breathe. And even our urban population centers are big population centers high density living for us is is still on a larger scale and and we have more space to actually to move around so we we don't feel so crammed I can definitely appreciate that in in some of these more densely packed European cities and and also in places like uh, Japan for example where they have super high density living it can be absolutely maddening to be stuck inside for so long. With very little prospect of being able to get out and just live a normal life. So, do you feel that Austria's response then has been a bit more consistent than uh, than Serbia's, um, insofar as it sort of wasn't all one way, and then suddenly all another way, and then all another way again, for various political reasons, but a, a bit more of a measured approach.
1: Yeah, like especially because I know a lot of people even here like did go on protests and everything, but peaceful protests, not like in Serbia. And they did it every week, but the government didn't change their mind. They still put them like it's locked on. Everything's closed. You can walk, you can protest however you want. Nothing is changing and nothing did change. They're now uh, talking about something on, I think, May 19 to open everything, but only to be like for people with a green pass. That's like if you're either vaccinated or you have a test with you, like a negative test that you can go inside of coffee shops and or restaurants or something. But they keep moving that they promised it back in January, I think, and they just keep moving it every time. Like in the next two weeks, in the next two weeks, in the next two weeks. I think that's how they're keeping like, people a bit calmer because they keep promising. And that's why a lot of people protest, but it's not changing they will i'm i wouldn't be surprised to hear from my brother because he lives here that he says they moved it again for two weeks because they just keep doing that empty promises
0: what's the effect been like on the economy in serbia you're a youtuber so you basically work from home so you your you um your role is is a bit different. It's not so easily affected by something like a, a, a pandemic. But what it, what has it been like for the average person on the street who says say has a, a traditional nine to five job, mm. and what has been the impact on business, particularly hospitality and and, and uh, accommodation, for example?
1: Well, I can go for myself because before I started, I started youtube 2016 back but i i had breaks and i had normal work and before the pandemic i actually worked in tourism and i was a hotel manager yeah I was youtube was more like of a hobby like with the pandemic i started actively doing it because i had no other choice and tourism during pandemic was nothing i lost my job i lost my opportunities to work anywhere so i know it's hard and i know from a lot of friends especially who work in gastronomy and stuff like that. They had such a hard time, and the government didn't help there. Like, I know I heard from other countries, a lot of them did, like, get help during this. Do you know how much Serbia got for one year? 100 euro. That's all that we got in May last year. That's it.
0: What are you supposed to do with 100 euro?
1: Nothing nothing I mean, it was what, also before of, the election
0: one week of groceries maybe
1: yeah basically i mean the average payment is like 300 in serbia it's our economy is is a disaster but a lot of people got mad of course what do you do with 100 euros it was he was pro- he first promised every three months 100 euros which is still nothing but it would be a tiny bit of something yeah yeah <laughs> But yeah, I got my 100 euros back in May 2020, while the uh, singers and like our pop idols of Serbia, they got 9,000 because they're not working. Yeah. They got for the whole year 9,000 euro per person because poor people, there are no events, they can't sing. How, how would they pay their mansions? Like, oh my God, they need help.
0: Well, um yeah the australian government has been very supportive so although yeah our economy has has taken a hit particularly in the usual areas you'd expect tourism hospitality accommodation we have fared quite a bit better um and we're still in a a real estate boom so there's a lot of construction going on so there are ongoing industries that are still really roaring and there's plenty of money going through the economy. I think our unemployment rate has gone up a bit, as you'd expect. And yeah, some of these industries have taken a big hit, but other industries are still strong enough to keep the economy going. So we haven't slumped into recession or anything. And that's been really helpful. Past, say, The careful management of the pandemic obviously has contributed a lot to that. The government's trying to minimise the impact on businesses. It has offered a lot of generous financial support to businesses and families and individuals, so that's that's been very helpful as well. But uh, I think as that money winds down, because it can't continue forever, all eyes are going to be on the government to see how well the vaccine rollout goes and if a lot more things can sort of be loosened up and then life can get back to, to normal again. I know the tourism industry is hurting really badly at the moment because of the, the lockdowns between states and of course the international ban, the international travel ban. So that's really rough. So what about Austria then? How, how have you found Austria in, in terms of economic support for, for the people?
1: That I really can't tell, that I don't know what, what Austria did like I'm not their citizen and when I'm here I'm here as a tourist. I know that uh, uh, my brother he also works at a hotel. He didn't get like, at least uh, he just got like less payments. He still uh, works there, even though the hotel is not like open because he's a manager. So he still still has paperwork, but at least he has a job still. Well, a lot of his colleagues got not fired, but like on pause, on break until the hotels reopens again normally. But for government help, I, I really don't know that information. I don't know how, how, how they did it here.
0: With regard to the vaccine rollout, does Serbia have the capacity to manufacture vaccines locally or did it simply buy them from other countries?
1: Uh, they bought them. We, we bought, they bought vaccines. We do have like pharmacy, like um, uh, fabrics, like in, in this we have a pharmacy industry, but I don't think that we are that well into making new stuff. Like we mostly get our, the biggest one, Hema it got bought by a German. And I think they're sending their recipes to us and then we produce. But I don't think we have the capacity to make our own. We mostly, yeah. he mostly, we mostly bought all the vaccines.
0: Australia started developing a vaccine last year and it was going well, but we had to stop development because during clinical trials, they were getting false positives for hiv for some reason okay so that that meant that the vaccine simply wasn't uh, wasn't a viable option at that stage and they they had to abandon that research and as a result of that we have bought vaccines from other countries however we do have the capacity to manufacture vaccines here And our government has struck a deal with AstraZeneca so that they can give us the information and resources we need to to manufacture the vaccine locally to cover our our own supply. So the government bought a huge number of vaccines well in advance, which was really great. But being able to manufacture the vaccine locally is a big help because that means if this becomes a sort of a, a recurring thing, if you need to have, say, maybe a, an annual booster, we've got the capacity there to make our own, and we, we won't be so reliant on other countries, which I know has been a big complication across the EU. Uh, I noticed the EU's vaccine rollout has been um, very spotty in, in places. They've had shortages of vaccines, And as a result of that, they've been reluctant to sell to other countries. Uh, Italy, for example, refused to sell some vaccines to us because they decided that they needed them at the last minute. So we had to source some of our vaccines from elsewhere. Serbia obviously has avoided that big problem because you're not an EU member. You're not tied to the the EU supply chain in that way. So you've got more freedoms and, and better options to, to source vaccines. The UK is no longer in the EU. They've been able to do a bit better. Plus, they have they already had manufacturing capacity. The AstraZeneca vaccine was uh, produced in in the UK anyway, as I understand it. So they're in a much better position. But across the EU, it has been a very awkward uh, rollout in various countries because of short supply so i was wondering how that was affecting austria at the moment
1: well as far as i know they're doing fine right now with the vaccines like i know a lot of been even though i know like one person who had really bad effects from the astrazeneca and i know there were a lot of protests against astrazeneca because there were like two nurses young nurses died from it uh a lot of people are refusing to take to take it that's what i know but i know they have like a variation they have the moderna they have the pfizer they have the johnson and johnson i think two yeah i think those four and i know that they were like also protesting because they made you sign that you had to take astrazeneca even though people refused, they didn't want it. And it was like a huge scandal that some people got AstraZeneca, even though they signed for for some some other ones. But as shortages, I don't think there was any. I just know that people refused to even take it, especially because the first round of people had like very bad like effects after it, which uh, if... Like, I remember when I was a child, when I got a vaccine, I would have like high temperature for a few days. That was normal back in the days. Now, people don't want that. I I think that's the problem mostly. But as shortages, no, I don't think there was any.
0: In Australia, we're using the AstraZeneca, and that was actually going to be the main vaccine that we used. And then When the blood clot issue arose and uh, questions began to be asked about how how closely linked the vaccine is to these blood clots, whether it's a causal relationship or merely a correlation, the government decided to pause the AstraZeneca rollout and limit it to the over 50s. So anyone over 50 now in Australia will get the AstraZeneca. Whereas if you are under 50, you will get the Pfizer vaccine. So that's what they're, they're going to now be rolling out for, for the under fifties, which is my age group. I'm, I'm 48. So that's, uh, that's made a lot of people happy because of, you know, a lot of concern that was raised in the media and in the public mind about how dangerous the AstraZeneca is and whether or not these blood clots are a, are a big issue at the moment. I'm, I'm a, although I'm aware of deaths that have been linked to the AstraZeneca vaccine with regard to sort of uh, a correlation between when the vaccine was given and when the death has, had actually occurred, I'm not aware at the moment of any hard scientific evidence that conclusively proves the vaccine uh, had caused the, the deaths. Um, I
1: think there was something here. It was, I think, uh, on the news that some German um, uh, some German scientific links linked it with AstraZeneca. Oh, First, it was okay, also yep. here. No, no, no. And then it was somewhere in the news that it was proven, yes. Mm. I'm not 100% sure, but I know I read it somewhere. It yeah. was either the news or the newspaper. I,
0: I do remember that. Um, And um, a little while later, the scientists who sort of made the discovery about the link said uh, I want to clarify that at the moment we don't have a causal relationship we do correlation but not a causal relationship so that's why they're they're trying to be a bit more careful but out of caution they are pausing the AstraZeneca and I know a couple of countries have paused it Um, I think Denmark has stopped it completely for example and uh, I think across the eu i think about 20 countries have variously paused it or or um or switched to a different vaccine there's been similar concerns raised about the johnson and johnson vaccine in america Mm -hmm. and they paused the johnson and johnson vaccine and they have now started rolling it out again after after checking the details of of various incidents and deciding that it's not a causal relationship it is really difficult because of course we've got brand new vaccine some with technology that's only been developed in the last few decades and we don't have the normal long term studies that we would usually have to to prove a vaccine um, nor do we have the situation that we do with a flu vaccine where every year we can build on the previous vaccine and we can anticipate that the new flu strains coming in and simply tweak it to address those. It's not the same. These vaccines are being made from scratch. they're having to start with a whole new whole new clean slate. And it, we don't have the luxury of long-term studies to support you know the further safety testing that we would we would uh, prefer to have. It's only going to be in about the next year, I'd say. In another 12 months we will have a better idea of correlation and causation with regard to long-term effects, if if there are any, and then we'll be in a much better position. In the meantime, it's just a bit of a gamble with the public trust because a lot of people are suspicious of medicine and suspicious of vaccines, and they don't like the idea that these vaccines haven't been tested for as long as other vaccines have been. And even in the minds of some Provax people, that, that is a concern. So... Yeah. We just have to sit tight and and just you know go carefully. Pause rollouts when we when we have to, and err on the side of caution. And just hopefully, as the the rollouts continue, we'll get that data in. But now, um, the last time I checked, nearly one billion COVID nine vaccines had been issued. Uh, and and administered across the world that's about one seventh of the global population which is actually a pretty huge number so we're well past the stage where anyone can say oh well you're effectively the research aren't you if you're taking the vaccine now nobody's the research at this stage we've got about you know a billion vaccines issued and and administered we're well past the point where anyone can say you're just participating in a giant clinical trial. That's definitely not the case. We've got a much better picture on short-term issues. What we don't have is the long-term picture. And that I think is going to be very interesting over the next 12 months to, to see where that data leads.
1: Yeah, and with such a big number, people have to be aware that even when any kind of medicine, if it has a side effect on such a big number, there will be people affected by the side effect more greatly than other, because it's such a big number. If it's one in a hundred, that's not so like it's more, but even if it's one in a million, somebody will be affected. Like people are not aware of that. They were like, they think everybody will be, but it has to happen. It's still, it's a vaccine. It's medicine. It's it's not only coming from vaccines, like any kind of med- medication that's even been tested for 10 Twenty years can give you side effects even severe side effects
0: yeah that's a very good point because obviously the larger the numbers of people vaccinated the larger the other uh, the greater the chance that we will see more reactions but when you yeah. look at the big picture when you look at the Percentage of people vaccinated. Sorry, the percentage of people who were vaccinated and had a reaction or a bad reaction. Then you look at that against the total number of people who've been vaccinated. You begin to realise well that the numbers are actually very, very small. And then again, when we say reaction, what are we talking about? A minor reaction like a a sore arm, bit of swelling, or a or maybe a temporary fever. Or are we talking a a a, a little more severe reaction, maybe some exhaustion and some aches and pains for about a week? Or maybe we're talking about a severe reaction like anaphylaxis, for example. But Mm. those ones, the severe reactions, are incredibly uh, small in in numbers in terms of, of the bigger picture. I know in the US, for example, the last time I looked at the numbers, the number, the percentage of severe reactions was something like 0.0016%. <laughs> so they've administered over 200 million vaccines now. And to have the number of severe reactions represented in, in such a tiny, tiny figure is extremely encouraging. That gives us some, some good solid data for long, uh, for, for short term and medium term. And hopefully if that continues in the long term, then confidence in these vaccines will grow. Australia has a very good record with vaccination. We reached a milestone about a year or two ago where uh, 95% of children are now fully vaccinated. And that's, uh, that's a new benchmark for us. We haven't reached that before. And that's largely because There's good trust in government here and good trust in vaccines. And the anti-vaxxer movement here is absolutely tiny. They've got virtually no influence at all. Uh, Hardly anyone takes them seriously. But I do know in countries like America, they do have a bit more noise. Uh, They've got more money behind them and they're a lot more active and influential. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and whether or not, the Americans can reach herd immunity within the timeframe they're aiming for. And of course, uh, we're gonna have to wait and see how long the immunity lasts and whether or not we need annual boosters, which I think will probably be the case at this stage. And that's gonna raise the question of what we do with variants such as the the, uh, Brazilian variant and the others that are going around at the moment. But, you know, if that happens, then that's what we have to do. And we do it for other yeah. diseases like the flu. So uh, I think we can accommodate that pretty well.
1: Yeah. For me, it's a bit different because of the vaccines, because we have in Serbia a bit of different kind of vaccines than European Union. And I'm just afraid that if I get the one that I, I have available in Serbia, I won't be able to get a green pass for specifically Austria. Because we had on the beginning, we had the Russian one, the Sputnik, and we had the Chinese one. And in my county, I, I had available only the Chinese one. And that one is not uh, accepted in Austria. So that's one of the other reasons why I'm still waiting to see what more vaccines will we get in Serbia. Will we get them? And it will be a problem because I would have to travel to a completely different county Get there like registered and everything to be even able to get a different kind of vaccine so that's of a kind of different problem for me like I want to be back I wanted to get a vaccine before I got now to Austria to visit my family so that I don't have to get tested not to get into quarantine and that but I can't do it if it's not like If I get like the Chinese one, I don't, I don't know how it works with other vaccines. Can I maybe later on take like maybe the Pfizer one, like after a year, maybe even can I mix those two or how does it work? Like, I still don't know that aspect of the vaccines. I'm not even sure that anybody really thinks about stuff like that. Like can, but yeah, they're still not allowed everywhere.
0: You, you mentioned that the Serbian government was now in a position to be able to sell vaccines to people yes. who traveled to Serbia for the purpose of being vaccinated. Yes. What countries are they traveling from?
1: I saw in the news that some stewardess from Albania took the vaccine in Serbia. It was all over the news. like It was like beautiful women taking vaccines in Serbia, stuff like that. Uh, I think mostly like the the neighbor countries, like maybe Bosnia, Croatia, not sure what countries, but I just heard that our president is like having put up because, well, I know Austria got, I think, uh, 200,000 of the vaccine. I don't know which one, I think it was Pfizer, while Serbia got two and a half million vaccine dosages. So we had more than Austria, even though the population is about the same between Austria and Serbia. Maybe, I think Austria maybe has 1 million more, but they took much less than, uh, than we. We took, like I said, 2.5 million vaccines so that we can sell it to other people.
0: So you, you feel that people are coming to Serbia to be vaccinated there mainly because of shortages in their own country
1: yeah, it could be.
0: And of course, the people who are coming over are the people with the capacity to do so, the the time and and the money um, and the freedom to be able to to travel like that.
1: Yeah, like, I think it's mostly like business people who travel to Serbia, like I said, like the stewardesses who were there, then they took the vaccines. I think it's mostly people like that who are already there. And then they think, OK, while I'm here, I'll take the vaccine because it's available for me. Like you said, in Australia, you're still not in the, into the, gr- in the group that takes the vaccine. While in Serbia, we're already finished with those groups mostly, now, now it's already younger people are already taking them. We finished with the older generation like very, very early in the early stages. And I think it's also one of those things that people don't want to wait, but have to travel around and then they come to Serbia just to take the vaccine.
0: You mentioned Albania. Now, Albania traditionally is, uh, and historically has been uh, a smaller, weaker and less um, economically vibrant Uh, country, and it's often been vulnerable, as as many of the East European states have been to, to invasion and, and war. So historically, they've struggled to maintain a robust economy. And I do do know that they still have problems with uh, organized crime and, and poverty. How we how are little countries like Albania traveling at the moment? How do you think they're they're coping? Are they able to source the, the number of vaccines that they need? Um, how have they fared with lockdowns and other COVID restrictions?
1: For Albania, I don't know, because Albania and Serbia are not in that of a big of a terms between each other. They've been at war with each other for very long and always like people hate people there. But like I can say, maybe for Montenegro, because we are... We used to be Serbia and Montenegro back in 2005 thousand five. We we're one country and we are like in I think Serbia is helping around, maybe even Albania. Like I said, I don't know that much about Albania because people don't like to talk in Serbia about Albania. Not me, but it's just I don't have anybody to talk it about. <laughs> yeah, it's um, Kosovo is making there a bit of a problems between Serbia and Albania. But like I said, I think that maybe Montenegro is getting help probably because they are, I think, the smallest country in on Balkan, on east east, east east, Europe. And I think like maybe also Bosnia, because Bosnia is also very economically not that good of a country. It's still like we're not much better than Bosnia, but maybe like a titsy weenie better, <laughs> especially with the vaccines. I think the government had a bit more money than Bosnia to get them that much. So I believe and I want to believe that Serbia is helping out there as much as they can.
0: Yeah, because the, the Balkan states, have, they are very vulnerable, um, not just economically, but politically. They've traditionally relied on larger states to be their patrons and, and support them and, you know, maybe make a promise not to invade them this century and and things like that. (laughs) Um, And then there's also been, as you say, there's been quite a bit of conflict between these countries. the map of the Balkans and Eastern Europe has had to be redrawn so many times over the last <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 200 years. Like
1: even in my lifetime, I think I experienced it three different countries from Serbia, like Yugoslavia and then Serbia and Montenegro. Before that it was Serbia. And then, you know, again, Serbia. Like when somebody asks, where are you from? Somewhere for the Balkans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm old enough to remember when, uh, when the USSR was still around, okay? Because that day, that sort of collapsed around uh, 1991 or between 1991, fall of the the Berlin Wall was around uh, 89, 90. Um, And then the USSR slowly collapsed and I think it was pretty much all over by 91. And before that stage, of course, just most of the map of Eastern Europe was covered under USSR. And then after that, as the various states gained independence, like uh, Lith- Lithuania, for example, um, the map started to look very different. But you you had um, still had Yugoslavia and and Czechoslovakia and this sort of thing. And then it started to be redrawn again. And then it was redrawn <laughs> again. Um, and then there was the uh, the the war with Kosovo and Serbia yeah. and uh, and Croatia. And there was the the. Um, the big Western intervention there as well, and that yeah. made things a lot worse. So, yeah, it's um it's not always easy keeping track of um where the borders are in there.
1: Yeah, in they the say Balkans. love thy neighbor, but on Balkan, all neighbors hate each other. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, it, it'd be interesting to see. Um, because one question that has arisen. Uh, when looking at the political influence of of the pandemic and countries' responses to it, is whether or not some of the bigger countries can exploit it for leverage over other countries. So there's been concerns and questions, for example, about whether or not China and Russia will use their access to vaccines as a form of soft power to influence other countries. Um, China, for example, has been using quite a bit of soft power in her moves into uh, the African continent and her deals with various African countries there. And I know that Russia still is pushing hard to exercise influence in the eastern states. Is there a danger that perhaps Russia will try and use... um, her, you know, her ability to offer Sputnik as some kind of soft power in in the Balkan region. Do you think, or, or do you think that was is um, pretty much a given, or is is it maybe yes, it's happening, but it's not much different from what's always happened, so it's not that much of a of a deal.
1: No, I don't think so, because as long as I remember, Serbia was always on very good terms with Russia. We are like we call each other like brother countries because we are like from the same kind of people and also we are on this very good terms also with china our president is like with amazing terms with the china government they visit each other often so no i don't think so like always when whenever you ask anybody like they don't have russia doesn't have to influence us anyway we are already like we're already in love with ask any serbian they all love putin they all love putin already like they would love if putin would be the president of serbia that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) They adore him. Everybody in Serbia loves Putin. <laughs> so I don't think he doesn't have to influence us in any way. We are already under his influence. Same with China. Ch- Chinese people love our president. It's insane. I saw TikToks about him from, from Chinese people. So,
0: so what about um, countries like the smaller countries like uh, Albania? Or countries right on the Russian border, like Ukraine, which has been having some real problems with Russia over the past few years.
1: That I don't know. That I can I couldn't comment on that because I'm not that informed about that yep. subject in Ukraine.
0: No worries. Um- <clears throat> Well, uh, Steffi, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. It's been really great to talk to you <laughs> and really interesting to hear some insights from your part of the world. So thank you very much for this conversation. And uh, I normally upload my podcast within about four or five days of uh, of being recorded once I've finished editing and stuff. So um Once I've got it up, I'll send you a link so that you can listen to it. But again, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.